How's everybody doing? It's good to be with you. It's been about a year since I've been here, and they didn't trust me ever on a Sunday morning, so now I'm here. (laughs) So I want to talk to you today uh, about, uh, about story, about story. How many of you know, how many love a good story? You just love a good story. Yeah, of course we do. That's what, we, that's what we're after. That's what we want. Uh, we want. We want good beginnings. We want tense middles and great endings, right? We, we want, we, we need tension. We, you know, if everything's just good, we're just like, yeah, I guess we're just going to go to the beach again. I don't know. You know? And it rains. You're like, oh, no. And then you get out to the beach. And you're like, oh, see, we knew. And that hope is essential. That sense of hope is essential. I want to talk to you today, and I want to give you some hope about your story. Stories are really important. Stories are uh, a massive fabric of society. In fact, uh, the word culture, culture is actually... Um, it's basically the sum of all our stories. So when we talk about like culture and when we talk about like, man, it's really important to shape a culture. What we're really saying is, what is the narrative of all of our stories? What do we, what do we want to be said of us? What do we want it to be true of us? And I think that sometimes we have uh, difficulty with our stories, and sometimes we are like really happy with our stories, and sometimes people are like overly happy about their stories. Have you ever heard like ten stories from the same person, like within like a week's time? Have I ever told you about the time? And uh, you know, we get stuck on good stories. And uh, I, I, if I were to tell you my story, uh, I could tell you where I'm from. I'm from the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania region. Whoop, Steelers. Uh, so, yeah. Penguins, whoop. Uh, yeah. We don't mention the Buckos because they're just terrible. But, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. Who? Uh, and uh, you might know them. They play around here sometimes in the spring. It's like a minor league team, Pirates. So, uh, so that ain't right. You're right. It ain't right that they've lost that long and they haven't paid for good players. Anyways, that's not what, that's what's not right. So uh, I, I have a, I'm not bitter. I promise. Uh, if I were to tell you my story, I'd tell you where I'm from. I could tell you, uh, I could tell you about uh, who my family is. I could tell you I got three brothers and my parents are amazing. And I got like 10 nieces and nephews and I got like, little things. And if I could tell you more of my story, I, I would tell you the, uh, what do I do with my life day in and day out? I could tell you about where I work. That's a story. I could tell you that I like food, but you probably don't need me to tell you about that, do you? I don't know. It's just something. If you want to get a good look at that again. Uh, I, I do. I like food. I, I, I like, I could tell you what I like to eat in the mornings. I could tell you what I like to eat in the middle of the day. I could tell you what I like to eat at night. I could tell you what I like to eat when I wake up in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, that's another story. And I could tell you about the things that move my heart. I could tell you about the relationships in my life that I can't do without. I could tell you about relationships that I thought I wouldn't do without, but that are gone. These are stories. And as important and as significant as all of those stories are, 
there's another story. And, and this is a story that like I find my where, my why, my what. I, I find all of my answers in uh, God's story, the, the word of God. And this is a story. This is a story. Now, this is like part of God's story. You understand like God's still writing his story. And that's like a knock on like the, you know, his or her story. I think God is actually liberating women in this hour like never before. And I think that uh, uh, the best days on the earth are ahead of us. And uh, we're actually growing into the full image of God. And uh, so to the two ladies in the room, yeah. We celebrate you, and we're thankful for you, and we, uh, we, I want to like apologize for not creating enough space for you, uh, because it's time for the women to rise. Uh, not that they haven't or that they aren't, it's just we need more. We need more of you. You're caring. This is essential. This is essential that you hear this. Like Ephesians chapter 4 says that we're moving towards a full measure the full stature of the measure of Jesus Christ. But do you understand that we can't reach a full stature, a full measure of who he is if it's like not all of us running together? And so I'm really looking forward to the, the days to come, the decades to come, and what it's going to release in the earth. This is a story. And, and again, God's story. <laughs> trying to tell a story. So silence your phones. So you're not distracted by other stories. You know, so we all do it, right? G-man-t. That's a Pittsburgh statement for old boy. G-man-t. Uh, there's a story behind that. The point is this. This is God's story. And this story, even though my story is significant, this story, I can actually find answers for my story in it. It, it's a matter of like where I'm from. It's a matter of why I have longing. It shows me why I long for goodness. Like this book is like the descriptor for like what home is and looks like. You might be like, what are you talking about? I'm not talking about the four walls of your house, the roof over your head. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about your longing for home because you can have a beautiful house but still have a longing for home and it not be fulfilled. That's scriptural, biblical, that you have a longing for more than just clay and brick and rooftops. You have a longing for home. And the story that I think of quickly is the story of the prodigal. He's sitting in a pigsty longing for his father's home and says, my father's servants are treated better than I am. I'm going to go home and say, I can't be a son. I want to be a servant. Do you understand? He's not longing for just food. He's longing for the story his father has created in his house. And so on his way home, he's rehearsing this narrative of, I don't belong. I just need a space. And his father embraces him. And right there in that moment, he is home. It wasn't when he crossed the threshold of a house or entered into a party thrown for him. It was the moment he was found in the embrace 
of his father. And Jesus tells us this story as an emphasis for we are all prodigals longing for the embrace of home. Amen. This, this story not only answers questions for me about how it begins, but it actually gives me hope for where we're going. Do you understand every tear of pain and anguish? It doesn't say, oh. It says that God is going to wipe away. Do you know how tender and how close you have to be for someone to wipe a tear away? This isn't just a picture of sad things become untrue, which is going to happen. This is a picture of an affectionate lover of your soul who's going to wipe the tears from your face. This is where we're heading. And so I want to start at the end to go to the beginning. We're actually going to be in Revelation and Genesis today. We're going to start in Revelation to go to the beginning, okay? We got to start at the end to get to the beginning, to get to us. Okay, you got it? Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. I, I don't want to spend too much time on this like I did last time. Here we go. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. The dragon is Satan, it's Lucifer. Lucifer was an angel created by God to serve in heaven. He rebels, takes a third of the angels with him. There's a war. I'm telling you this because this is the beginning. This is the beginning, and I'm telling you this not to just show you that like we, we have like stories, but also the war is not between God and the devil. It's between Michael and the devil. We're all like bent out of shape like, God, he's losing to the devil. Have you lost your mind? I don't know, man. Have you looked around? <laughs> this is really sad. God flicked the devil. That's what Isaiah says. With his finger, he expelled Satan and a third of the angel armies. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but you don't want to fight against an angel. A couple of angels show up and kill like hundreds of thousands of people in the Bible. Just a few. And they deal with it. God, with his finger, sends a third of them out of heaven. They hit the earth. When they hit the earth... They go, later on in the scripture, they're like, oh, man, we feel bad for the earth. Right? That's, that's real. But listen to how it begins. As soon as it says this, he was hurled to the earth in verse 9, and his angels with him. Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice say, now has come the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. What? At the dismissal of the dragon is a song that's released. Aha! Now there's a time where God's son will become flesh and exercise authority in the earth again. God's already beginning what we might see as like, why did he put the devil on the earth? We have so much trouble now. Why didn't he do something different? <laughs> I don't like what he does. <laughs> <laughs> 
And God's like, no, you don't get it. I'm going to put my son in flesh in the earth and show you not what I can do, but what you can do. If Jesus goes to the cross and is raised from the dead as a God, I have no hope. But he comes as a man, dies upon a cross, and God sees who is innocent and pure, raises his son from the dead. And he is the firstborn among creation, and he is the firstborn among the dead, according to Colossians chapter 1. That means you're going to get raised up too. Just in case you were wondering what I was saying there. Ain't no grave to hold this body down. Right? Uh, don't get me singing. We're going we gonna to have church if we do that. Ain't no grave. Okay. <laughs> All right. Verse 10. For the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before our God day and night. He's been hurled down. I could preach on this all day too. But hallelujah, the accuser does not have equal access to God in the same way that our advocate does. So it's almost like there is a judgment seat and it's you and your lawyer, Jesus, and the accuser, can't get in the courtroom. Do you know what happens when the accuser doesn't show up for your, your speeding ticket? Thrown at, that's what they say in Pittsburgh, at, thrown at. It gets thrown out. The story continues. The accuser of the brethren has been hurled down. Verse 11, I want you to see this. Here's how you can overcome the accuser. And it is really important that you understand this. The accuser isn't just after making you look bad. You understand this isn't about just your name being tarnished. You understand that accusation mars your identity. You need to know this. That accusation mars, it maligns, it distorts your identity. That's not just how people see you. That's how you see you. And so if you surround yourself with accusational lies, you will find yourself living according to that identity of who you are, that script of who you are, rather than embracing God's script and narrative about your life. So the accuser being dealt with, really big deal. It's really important that you realize that God has a way for you to overcome the accusations of the enemy. And it's three things. The first is they overcame him in verse 11 by the blood of the lamb. Selah. That's where it starts. That's where it always has to start. If you try to overcome the enemy in your testimony and accurately loving before you apply, receive, embrace the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ, it's going to be striving. It gets messed up. You need the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word. Come on, that was glorious. I don't even remember the melody of it, or else I'd sing it right now, but your blood speaks a better word. Your blood speaks a better word over us today. That's where it always starts and it always will is the gospel of Jesus Christ that his blood cleanses us from our sins and makes us whole. Secondly, by the word of their testimony, 
Thirdly, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Now, I want to say this. They weren't running around going, kill us, kill us, kill us. That's not an accurate love. An accurate love is I choose Jesus and I choose the gospel and I choose his way in such a way that like if death, if it comes to me choosing death or the way of God, I'm going to choose the way of God. That's where I'm at. I'm not looking for it. I'm not like, pick me. No, I'm not going tribute. You know, Jesus already did it. You know, mock, you know, you get it. You don't, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> Jesus already paid the price. We don't have to, but if we're forced, if we're pushed in this position, you better believe I'm going to choose him over loving myself more. Do you get it? We're not going to shrink back. An accurate perspective of love. And so let's go back to this word of our testimony. Do you understand the testimony is not just like you had a headache, someone prayed for you, you're better now. That's a testimony. But that's not, like testimonies aren't just like, I was, I was a sinner. Oh, I was a sinner. And I was so bad, you wouldn't even recognize me. Like, I mean, we know how to tell a good one, right? Like, it's not just about how you overcame sin. It's not just how you got over your sickness. Those are massive parts of testimony. Testimony is your story. It's your record. The word there in the Greek means record, written, what is said in order of your life. In other words, your whole story. And I think, and I know this to be true of my own life, and I know this to be true of the people that I like do life with, is that we think that overcoming the accuser is by just naming the good stuff God's done instead of actually going, actually, there's really sad things in my life that I haven't yet been able to bring before the Lord, but I'm still in a place of receiving from the goodness of Jesus when he said, blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. I think we walk around stories of sadness. I don't think we look them in the face because they're too much and because there's too much shame around, I didn't get breakthrough. As if breakthrough was based upon your faith instead of the faith of God. Are you kidding me? Well, you didn't have enough faith. I never have. It's just a gift that's always been provoked by his word anyway. I can't earn this stuff. If this was the way I could earn it. Now, don't get me wrong. I think you should eagerly desire the gifts and eagerly hunger for those things. But don't strive into it. And don't ever think that it's ever because you hungered up enough that God was like, well, okay, you're cute. Here you go. It's actually because of his son. And because of his son, you get his spirit. And because of that spirit, you get power. That's how it works. And so do your part. But make sure God's doing it. You know, you get the point. I'm not here to talk about that today. I'm here to talk about how we don't talk about ugly. We don't talk about ugly. And one of the ugliest stories, I think, is the story of Abraham and Sarah. So let's go to Genesis. Because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you how to overcome the accuser by talking about stories you don't like talking about. Abraham and Sarah are given a promise. Genesis chapter 12. God finds this Middle Eastern man and goes, hey, you, leave it all. And I'll show you where you're going to go. And Abraham's like, deal. 
game on. He's like, trust me, when God shows up in your life, in fact, he goes, here I am. That word, here I am, isn't just like, what's up? Or like, hello. The word here I am in the Hebrew, it actually means to be fully present. All of the resources of your life, fully present and fully available. So when God says Abraham and he goes, here I am. In the first calling, Genesis 12, he's saying everything I am and everything I'll ever gain, it's yours. Let's go on an adventure. God takes the boy on an adventure. He does. He's like, come on, let's do this. And they travel, I mean, they travel all across, you know, what we know is the Middle Eastern lands today. Like we, we know there's like tons of tension and tons of like just strife in that area. And it wasn't different then. It's just that God was walking with this, with this guy and this woman named Abraham and Sarah. Before they were Abraham and Sarah, which means father of many and mother, they had no babies and yet God was like, I'm going to make your descendants like as numerous as the stars in the sky. And they were like, woo, not only is God going to give us land and houses, he's going to give us tons of kids, which is like a really big deal back in the day because it was like inheritance. It was lineage. It was workers. It was like building. Some of you are like, I do that. I do that. Building workers. Yeah, we call those chores. You know what I mean? So like. This was like to the next level, though. They're having like 20 kids. You know what I mean? This is like, well, we won't talk about TV. So uh, they go on. They have this promise of tons of kids, and yet there's a problem. This is when I think we get into trouble. When we have problems and we don't talk about it with God. We don't talk about it with others. They have a problem. Sarah can't get pregnant. She got no baby bump. It ain't working for her, all right? She can't have a baby. So she goes, I got an idea. Why don't you take my servant as your wife and she'll kind of be like a surrogate mother, you know? So she'll just be like, in in lieu of, I can't, she can, she works for me. She's kind of like my possession. So I'll give her to you as a wife and it's kind of like me, but it's not. But it's like the way we can make this thing work because God needs some help, Avi. Hashtag totes obs, right? <laughs> Hello, God. I guess I'll do this for you. <laughs> like, I think a lot of us will be doing that this day. Like, we are so impatient. I was flicking through things on the internet the other day on my phone. I was looking for, like, a picture or something. I was like, man, this newspaper article's here. And I couldn't find it. And it was like, then something started, like, clicking. And I could see the line going, dick, dick, dick. And I, like, threw my phone. I was like, away with you, <laughs> you slow thing. And, like, God's like, hey, I'm going to give you a baby. And it takes 40 years. They were 60. Hondo when they had a baby. But before that, they're like, okay, you know, I guess, the, I guess 20, 30 years of trying, it's not going to work, so we'll do it. And Sarah offers Hagar, her servant, to Abraham as a, as a spouse, and he goes, okay, don't do this, Abraham. <laughs> I mean... It's just going to cause a lot of trouble, bro. 
It's like, you should know better. You know what I mean? Like, he's done a lot of foolish things. Like, this is my sister. No, no, it's not. That's your wife. Quit, quit telling lies. She marry my slave. Okay. No, don't do that, Abraham. Okay? Just don't. Well, anyways, long story is, is she does, and Hagar becomes pregnant. Now, Hagar, when she becomes pregnant, starts despising Sarah. This is like the original baby mama drama. All right? This is real. This is real. <laughs> Hagar is despising Sarah, and Sarah's like, uh-uh, I will cut you. Like, this is just the way it goes down. She's like, I ain't going to do it, but I will, I will. And she's like, I'm going to go talk to Abraham about this. You stay here. She goes and talks to Abraham, and she's like, excuse me, um, your little servant, whom she offered as a wife. You see how she's degrading identity? How she's demoting her? Your servant, uh, she's mistreating. She's like despising me. So you should do something about this. And Abraham goes, well, she's your servant. You do with it. Like he, again, cowers back and says, you know what? No, no, no. She's your servant. You do with her what you want. And she actually does. And she uh, horrifically abuses Hagar. This isn't like, now listen, if you think about times and seasons, and if you think about like thousands upon thousands of years ago, how people treated one another, like we are progressing in a healthy way. We're getting better. We no longer think it's okay to own a person. Back then, not so much. So the amount of abuse that had to occur for Hagar to run to leave provision. Now, we're not talking about they had houses and running water. Everything you needed to live was at the camp. Outside of it meant death. She runs away from Sarah. And as she's running away, I want to talk to you about Hagar. Because I think there are a lot more of us who are like Hagar in this room than we like to admit but I promise you, if you'll learn to steward your story, you will overcome the accuser. And it is important because we need you victorious if we're going to step into everything God has for us. Amen? Hagar runs away. The Bible says this in Genesis 16 and verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. Wait, excuse me? Why did you have to find her? I thought God knew where someone was all the time. The word, the angel of the Lord found her denotes that she was missing. It has the notion of God is seeking out where Hagar is. I want you to know something that if you are like Hagar, 
or have been like Hagar. And you are running away from abuse and mistreatment. You are running away and trying to find solace. And you find yourself in a dry desert, harsh land, in isolation, no one around you, something growing within you that can't be celebrated, only pushed away. You're in good company. God finds those kind of people. God finds those kind of people. God searches to and fro looking for Hagar and he finds her. I want you to know that no matter what your story of pain is, no matter what kind of trauma you're carrying, God will find you. The story goes on and says this. Hagar, where where have you come from? Where are you going? She says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. She answered, verse 9, the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Verse 10, we can get into that a whole different thing. This isn't God saying, go back and be mistreated. He's actually inviting her back into a promise that God has for her and for Ishmael. And it actually works out for them in the end. In fact, we know this because when Abraham passes away, it says this, Abraham's sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried their father. So we know that this story does come full tilt, but it would not have ever come that way if she'd not gone back. And Ishmael gets blessed and becomes like multiplied because she goes back. So this isn't a statement of go back and submit to harsh treatment. This is a statement of there's something for you in that. And it may not make sense right now, but you need to go back. But before you go back, let me tell you what God has in mind. And then he releases this word over. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought this was Abraham's promise. (laughs) I will so increase your descendants that they'll be too numerous to count. Like, rewind that. What? This is Abraham's promise. You can't give it to Ishmael. Ishmael's the mistake. Well, Ishmael may have been Abraham's mistake, but Ishmael is Hagar's promise. And I just want to push pause on a narrative that we have used for far too long in the church that Hagar and Ishmael are horrible. Hagar and Ishmael, don't do it. We always say, don't, you don't want an Ishmael. And I would like agree with you. Like, don't try to make the promises of God happen on your own. But we're not talking about that right now. We're actually talking about human beings that God loves. And I can prove it to you in the next verses. It says this, you are now with child. You will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael. Let me say a few things about this naming. Number one, God doesn't name every baby in the world. I know you think that God spoke to you about your name, and I, I get it. I think that that's beautiful. But when God audibly goes, name the child this, it's a short list. Namely at the top, Jesus. I think you're in good company. <laughs> can, we just, can we just say, like there's a few other people that I think off the top of my head, like Solomon gets named by, by God, and they don't use his name. I'm like, well, that's why he went wrong. <laughs> Should have used the name God gave you. <laughs> You're, which his name, the, the name he, that God gave Solomon was the Lord loves you. And don't you think if you would have lived in the identity of the Lord loves you all your life, you probably wouldn't have been looking for it from 800 other women? <laughs> Use the name God gave you, right? So anyways, God names Ishmael. What? Yeah. You know what the name means? The name Ishmael 
Contrary to popular preaching doesn't mean mistake. The name Ishmael means God hears. And I'll take it one step further. Ishmael, so El is, the God, is like God. Ishmael is hearing. God hears. Isn't that just like fascinating? The very thing that is cause for the tension between you and the people that you thought loved you, God names. I want you to know that every time you hold that baby skin to skin against your chest, when you look at Ishmael, I hear you. Every time that toddler runs in the room and knocks over that jar of water, you better remember, I hear you. In fact, story goes on that they, it does come time for Ishmael and Hagar to move on from the family because God's promise is to Isaac. And so Abraham, with heavy hearts, he obeys the angel of the Lord that says, they do need to go, but bless them. And, and then God says to Abraham, I will bless your boy in such a way. Trust me. But the promise promise is for Isaac. So God's like, I'm going to take care of your boy. And Abraham, with heavy heart, blesses him and gives them gifts and sends them on their way. Well, as they're working through the wilderness, it becomes obvious the water's all gone. The boy is dying. Hagar places Ishmael, a teenager, under a bush and says, I can't watch it and walks away. And the Lord shows up and says this to her, Hagar. And he opens her eyes to see a well, a spring for water. And the Lord says this, isn't this fascinating? I heard God hears. I heard Ishmael's cry and I came to get you. So don't tell me Ishmael's a mistake. And don't tell me your pain, because here it says, you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. Oh boy, we don't like those stories. Lord, just can you just make everything in my life bountiful and awesome and say you hear bounty? <sighs> and he does. And he's elated with you. And when you're in pain, he's sad with you. I want to wrap this up. She comes into a place where God says, I heard you. You're heard. But she, in verse 13, says this. She gives the name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there. She is heard by God. God says, I hear you. And she says, you see me. Can you imagine this? A woman who's overlooked by Abraham and Sarah. A woman who's overlooked by the whole camp. A woman who's not named accurately. God says, I will name your child. I hear you. And she goes, finally. I am seen. 
and known. And I'm not just seen for misery, but if someone chooses to look at me in my pain, how much more will they travel with me in my joy? I have seen the one who sees me. And she names a well. Now, I don't know how much you know about wells in the Bible, but every time there's like massive encounters with God, she learns from Abraham, you name a well when God shows up. So she caught this like every time God, boom, pops into her life. She, like Abraham, would name God something new and bless a well. She blesses a well that's still there to this day. And I want you to realize something. That well has become a well of refreshment for every person in misery. This story is proof that God knows your story and my story. This story makes sense not of the why of our misery, but it makes sense of the now what of our misery. That God hears us and he knows us. And not only has he heard our voice, the most distinct thing about us, he actually sees you. And there's an invitation to drink from a well that's named, I see the one who sees me. Very quickly, I, I, you may not believe this about me, but this is absolutely true. I believe a lie. I wrestle with it all the time. It's not like I'm a liar. I'm just telling you, there's a script from the accuser of the brethren in my life that I have to fight. And the lie is this, that my voice isn't good enough. That what I have to say isn't important enough. So I'll like see things in the world and want to reply. I'll type like three paragraphs on Facebook, get ready to push send, and I'll copy, delete, and walk away. Because who's going to read this? Or people are going to reply and go, yeah, but this, this, this. And I'm just like, I don't have, I, I'm already fighting this lie. I don't need people to confirm it. Amen. Let me just back up for a few seconds and say how completely amazing I am. Yeah. Let me just say a few things. Like, listen, I put out an album. It was played literally around the world, like 23 nations. Like, whenever I speak, people constantly come to me and say, I, I can't say this out loud or blah, blah, but you're like my favorite person to ever hear talk. But the accuser of the brethren wants me to believe a lie that my voice isn't important or what I have to say not good enough. Last summer, the Lord showed me where it started. I was in a, a seminar, I was learning how to be a better leader, better person. They were talking about our stories and how we don't like to look at things in our stories. So I've been journeying with this story for a while now and I'm writing my notes because I'm like, man, I want to get this. I need to know this. I, want, I need to own this, this teaching, this truth. And as I'm like sitting there, Holy Spirit whoo, takes me. And internally, externally, I'm like, but internally, I am present in a memory of my life that's sad and painful to me, but seems insignificant. When I was seven years old, I was playing miniature football. My mother was in charge of the football jerseys for that year. And so I told my mom what number I wanted to wear. 
made a big deal about it. I was like, I want that number. I need this number. I really want that number. Well, once they started handing it out, she just had forgotten, had given my number out, but put aside a different number for like a new football player on the Steelers team. I lost my mind. <laughs> and I still think that like, you don't always get what you want. Like, I know that's real. But as I'm reliving this story, I feel all of the emotions of seven-year-old Aaron in that moment. Holy Spirit took me right back. And Holy Spirit said this. This is where you began believing the lie that you weren't heard or that what you had to say wasn't important enough. And, what, and then Holy Spirit said this. No. Then I was fully aware of like the whole Godhead. Like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Then I, I like had a knowing that Je like Jesus said to me, Aaron, and when you were crying, I was crying. And then I felt the Father go, and I was holding you in my arms. And in this moment... <clears throat> Well, it doesn't mean I don't believe the lie anymore. It just means that I know that God cares. In this moment, right here and right then, Holy Spirit said to me, and this was the kicker, as if those other things weren't, like, oh, this is why I believe that. You were crying too. Oh, you were holding me. And I remember, I remember like the follow-up on it was this, and this shook me, and I was done. I was like a ball just tears, just, at this point, my face is like faucet, and I'm trying to take notes, pretend like it's all good, and my body temperature is like 110, and I'm like, ah. I got the shakes, you know, like the shakes when you're crying, but you're trying not to breathe, but you have to take a deep breath, you know what I mean, I'm there, and then, and then Holy Spirit says to me, this story might seem insignificant, but we remember it. And it's very important to us. And immediately, what I had pushed down, shoved away, as like, don't make a big deal about this. Holy Spirit said, we heard you. And immediately, like a cool drink of water in the hot summer, I felt the water from the well of I see the one who sees me rush through my life. I'm going to ask you to stand. I, I want to just pray for you quickly. And then if you would like prayer, the prayer team is coming. So prayer team, if you'd come. Those of you who asked for prayer earlier, please come see, uh, please come see this team and those who want to pray for you. But I want to pray for you really quickly about your story because I have the funny feeling that a lot of you are like me and you said, man, that story was just a, a little person not understanding life. And actually God, God cares about it. So I think we should stop pushing it down, burying it. I think we should stop hiding our pain. 
I think we should start looking to the one who sees us. And so my prayer for you today is a simple prayer. You would drink deeply from a well. A well that's named, I see the one. Finally, someone, finally someone sees me. And when I look to him, I don't see pity. Do you understand that you can be a victim and not have a victim mentality? And in fact, I think the key to not having a victim mentality is being able to honestly say, I was a victim. People who are like, were victims and say, I was. No, I hate people being victim mentalities. That's actually quintessential victim mentality talk. Denial. Like that's part of victim mentality. I don't have time to talk about that today. But you should just drink from a well. So I'm going to ask, would you place your hand on your heart? I want to pray for your hearts. And once I finish, you're dismissed. If you'd like prayer though, there are some amazing people down here who would love to love on you, who would love to journey with you, who would love to hear you and see you. And so let's have a drink. You ready? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, today I, I pray for every person in this room. God, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt there are people in this room who are struggling to keep the story hidden. Even as I talk right here, right now, they, their heart is burgeoning with pain. And I pray today, God, that you would fill them from the well. Oh God, the well of, I see the one who sees me. And I'm telling you, you don't have to hide it. It's going to be messy. Are you kidding me? It was a messy situation. You're a human being. Of course you're going to cry and not understand and feel pain and anger. But it is the time for hiding things is over. You overcome the accuser by holding your stories with tender hands and trusting people who love you, namely God. He knows, and yet you bringing that story and saying, God, I ache, I hurt, my heart hurts, I need you. That's actually the invitation for God to say, blessed are those who mourn, you will be comforted. So God, I pray for these hearts and these minds. I do pray, God, for, uh, for these spaces in our, the cortex of our brain where we carry this trauma. I pray that the trees of life will break forth. I pray that like salve, the healing balm of Israel, the healing one would wash over us. Father, for the trauma in this room, I pray the healing virtue of Jesus Christ flood this room at an equal and more prolific uh, measure in the name of Jesus right now. And I pray for you that you would, you would, uh, you would lose the ability to dissociate. <laughs> That you would have to be fully present. You would have to, you would learn that you, you're, you being present, even if it's wild and out of control, is way better than a numbed out, hidden version of your story. 
God, we thank you that you don't look at our Ishmaels and say, mistake. You look at Ishmaels in our life and go, I hear you. I see you. I know you. And so I pray today, God, Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation to see you rightly, God, would fall upon our hearts today in the name of Jesus. Be filled with the spirit of God and the spirit of wisdom and revelation that overflows into the reality of you can see accurately the one who accurately and most uh, mo the most truest version of you, it's held in the heart of God. He, that's what he's seeing. That's who he sees. So God, today, pour out the spirit, God, I pray. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, touch every heart. And I bless you. And I bless your stories. And I bless your happiness and I bless your sadness. That God is near. He is with you. In Jesus' name, amen.